This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. I first of all want to mention that it is a Pride Month, so happy Pride. And just to say, Query is available on Amazon Music, and they're featuring Query Front and Center in their Pride collection, which is kind of cute. I'm very happy about that. I also want to take a minute and thank the Patreon patrons who support this show, like Robin Moxley, Beck, Chantel McClelland, Leslie Goditis, Francine Babina, Ethan Peterson, Paula Vavadowski, Rachel McIntyre, Stacey M., Tanya Joseph, Kevin Fry, Levon Sawake, Brittany Carlson, Chloe Vicker, Audrey Rohr, Carrie Boland, Katie Gagliardo, Bobby Dalmer, Jessica Lustig, Liesl Jensen, Danielle Korn, Brenda Esposito, Jennifer Grind, Fiona, Eliza Dornbush, Mara Barra, Amy A., Catherine Michaels, Diana, Andreola, and Jen Saltzman. There's some new names on there, and you can go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros and support this show and keep it rolling. Honestly, I cannot tell you how much it matters to the the history, to the future of the show, to have support from y'all through Patreon. And yes, my voice is a little wild. I lost it yesterday. But today is a re-release of Chris Mosher's episode. I really like talking to this person about sport, about trans identity, and um, I thought this was a great episode to re-release as I am unable to record this week. I also just want to say um, that Earwolf has provided me with some info for you. If you're somebody who's concerned about gun violence in the U.S., and I certainly know that I am, it's easy to get involved and help the cause. Join Everytown and Moms Demand Action by texting ACT to 64433. This is something Earwolf is doing across its shows, is providing info to listeners on how to get involved with Everytown and Moms Demand Action. And I really love that that is something that my, the company I work with is doing. Okay, please enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still Hi, how are you? Oh, oh my God. Why did I schedule so many Zooms back to back? I feel like I'm going to barf. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Just today or in February? <laughs> you know what? Great question in life. Like, I in just life, mean, yeah. even when they weren't called Zooms, like scheduling too many Zooms back to back is, that's kind it's of not a, great. it's something I'm working on. Um, okay. Boundaries are good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But it is such a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you. I always have folks introduce themselves on the podcast. Would you introduce yourself? I would love to. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Mosier. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I am a, uh, what, how, how, oh, wow. You just stumped me in the first question. How do I want <laughs> your audience to know me? Uh, so I am the first out a uh, transgender athlete to make Team USA. I am an advocate, uh, activist for trans inclusion in sport. Um, my mission is to make it easier for every person who comes after me 
to make sure that everybody knows that they have the opportunity to play the sports that they love and be their authentic selves. And I'm the founder of transathlete.com, which is the leading resource for trans inclusion in sports. And will you also uh, talk about your sport specifically? Like what, what is your specialty, Chris? Yeah, definitely. This is fun. So I started off as a triathlete when I first uh, transitioned, actually. So before transition, um, I identify as a trans man. I was raised and socialized as female, grew up playing girls and women's sports. But in 2010, decided to make a medical transition, transition categories. Um, kind of the, the short version of this is that I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose my opportunity to play sports. And so I delayed my transition for a while before actually like, saying that I would transition because I didn't want to lose my ability to compete in sports. So triathlon was the first part, swim, bike, run. And then I moved over to duathlon. So duathlon is run, bike, run. It's a lesser known sport. It's associated with triathlon. It's super fun. And I don't like cold water, so it's perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, last year in January 2020, I went to the Olympic trials for race walking. So I was the first trans man to make it to the men's Olympic trials. Um, and I was in race walking. It was a sport I picked up the year before uh, because I know somebody who is a race walker and they recruited me and it was super fun. Okay. This is, this is, I'm sure the question that you get the most often after saying that, but how difficult is it to not break into a run when you are race walking? Like, I <laughs> so, just want to really understand the mechanics of like, I know my body can go faster than this if I do this other thing, but um, the rules are. <laughs> right, right, right. So are you familiar with the rules? Let's talk about it. Yeah. No, so, I actually so, don't. I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've certainly seen it. And I would imagine that there are like very specific rules on what your body can do, right? That yeah, has to be true. Right, 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 right. So the difference between a run and a race walk is that your leg has to be straight when it hits the ground. So your front leg has, front knee has to be straight when it hits the ground. And then you can't break that knee. So bend it until it's under your body. Right. And then yep. the other thing is that one foot has to be on the ground to the human eye at all times. So it has to look, it, you, in, if you slow it down, wow. people do lift off. But so it has to look like you are on the ground at all times with one foot. So how hard is it? Like, it's funny. That's not actually the question that I get the most. The question that I get the most is- I was joking. I think I'm pretty interesting with my No, no. It's, it's, no, no, no. Around, around race walking. Like, we're just yeah. warming up here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Be easy on yourself. <laughs> um, the question I get the most around race walking is, was it harder to come out as a trans man or as a race walker? Which I love oh, that wow. question sure. so much because it was way harder to come out as a race walker at this point in my life, if we're being honest. Um, I didn't tell people about it for a while because I was like, I mean, I was super pumped because it's like the queerest sport that I could think of to yes. try to, to go to the Olympics. And it was just like, um, you know, in, in, in like the most wonderful way, it's just the, it's just I don't know. There's just something about it that is just really visually. It's very interesting, right? It's very, I think it's very swishy and I'm not, I'm not downplaying at all. Like I think race walking is a lot harder than running to your point. I know I can run, I can run twice as fast. And so to, you know, to maintain that form is for me, it's, it's sort of like swimming. You have to think about it the entire time. So I'm just, I can't space out. I can't think about other things. I have to be thinking straight knee, you know, move your hips, like move your arms, all these other things. And I would imagine that it's not, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I would just imagine that it's, it's like nothing that you accidentally did as a child. It's just one of those things that's like fully a new way of moving your body. 
Absolutely. Like no human is made to move like this, I right, don't think. Exactly. And, but I will say, I remember race walking. I just did the air quotes there. Race walking across the parking lot with my mom, like during the Olympics time when I was a kid, because I think that my mom thought it was a funny sport too. But he must have seen it on TV. And so we've been jokingly like race walk from the car to a store. So I remember I have like fond memories of that, but I definitely was not anything that was on my radar until about two years ago. And it was really, I mean, it was cool as an adult to try something new, to be a beginner at something again, because I can't remember the last time that I was just like, wow, I know that I am skilled athletically in, in other areas. And this is something that's so foreign to me. It's so new. It's so um, strange. And the learning curve was so steep. So it was really cool. It's brave. It's brave to try things as an adult that that are new. I mean, that's just one thing I'll say. I feel like my interest in wanting to be a newcomer is in in inverse proportion to my age. Um, and so I, I think that, I think it's brave to start something new that, that well, you don't have the skill set for. As well, thank old. you. I think I was really, I was really afraid to tell people about it. And I think that there was a lot of like, you know, I, w I didn't consider it brave to do. I, I thought that there was a pathway for me to go to the Olympic trials. And I thought that there was, and, and there was, I have a two-time national champion in race walking now, who would have guessed, um, and, and made it to the Olympic trials. And that was really a box that I wanted to check off to sort of break that barrier for other people to, to make it to that level of sport. And so, you know, there's just something about being there, about the representation. And even if like, I'm saying, even though it was race walking, race walking is a legit sport. It's super hard. Um, it wasn't my key sport, my main sport. But, you know, it still counts. And so I think that that was really, really exciting. When was the last time you were a beginner at something? You said it's like inverse proportion to your age, but like, oh, in you the have last that desire. Of, yeah. In the last couple of years, I've, I've re, I have had a, a new, I've had a willingness to try things that I am a beginner at that I just did. I just didn't have that willingness for a long time. And something I mean, honestly, it's, this is like such a, but it was, it was going through a divorce. Like I just, mm -hmm. I felt like I failed at something. I know that that is not what divorce actually is, but that was the feeling was like such a monster fail of something that I felt like that I thought I would be good at. Like I thought I would be good at it. And I thought I'd be able to, you know, through, um, sheer force, like overcome any <laughs> obstacle. And it's just like, that's not how relationships work. And so I think that this sort of the opposite side of that coin was, oh, like I don't have to be perfect. And yeah. that was cool. I mean, that, it, that continues to be cool. That's the yeah. other side of having people know, having myself know that I can't be perfect is like, oh shit, you can just do, you can just roller skate. You can go to ballet class. <laughs> Just give it yeah, a shot. Dude. I've done yeah, all these it, things. You that's do, awesome. You can do the bar method. You can give it a shot. You can like take <laughs> spoon carving classes and Japanese cooking class. Like, I'm just saying like, I really, I was just like, all right, dude. I mean, I went back and took some classes recently in, um, I went back to divinity school, which is something I was interested in when I was very cool. 19. Like I'm having a willingness. I am in a place in my life where I'm having a willingness. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, but, but I want to go back to, you know, I'm hearing what you're saying and like the sort of, like you even said, like, and my mom thought that was a funny sport and like, we didn't, like, I didn't say it was a funny sport. So like, clearly that's you, you reflecting on 
I just, I hear what you're saying. I'm curious about the, like, is it just that this is something that people in culture have joked about? Is it that like, you think it's a visually unusual thing to see? Is there like some masculinity stuff tied up in there? Like, what do you think it is that like, had you have this fear on telling people this is what you were doing? Yeah, I think part of it was the fear of, I don't think it was anything around the actual sport itself, although I I did say it was funny. So yeah, maybe we could dig into that, right? If I'm unpacking (laughs) that, if I am unpacking that. So yeah, mom thought it was funny. I definitely thought it was funny when I was a kid. And I think, you know, there's something about being a runner. So as a runner, I think that there is a cultural sort of thing that happens about walkers, right? So if you're a runner in like the hierarchy of running around Central Park, if you see the person who's run walking, I think that there there is a stigma that goes along with that. And and I'm a coach and and I coach people to run walk. I coach people to walk when they need breaks. Like I I I'm not super concerned about that, but I think that there was probably a fear about telling other people about it. And then on you know Absolutely. really going deeper. I yeah, mean, I really live in America, deeper, I, you know, so like I, I understand that like <laughs> the fastest, toughest thing is like always the thing, right? Like the yeah. You know, that just makes sense to me, even though I do not identify as a runner. Sometimes I run, but I do not identify as a runner. Yeah. But I can, I, like, that just makes sense to me from a cultural perspective. But yeah, keep going. Well, yeah. And, and I think, you know, as a, as a high achieving athlete, like as somebody who is, you know, Team USA do athlete and, and has done well in running races that I did just have this idea of, wow, I'm not going to be able to go as fast walking, which like humanly, I'm, I'm just not going to be able to do it. And I think that there was part of that, but then also this idea of what if I didn't make it, you know, so if my goal was to make it to the Olympic trials and what if I didn't make that? Um, and I know that part of that is, is pressure I put on myself of just wanting to achieve a lot, but also, you know, I feel like I'm doing it for my community. And I think that's a pressure I've put on myself since 2016, since the first time, you know, I, I made Team USA, since I kind of got in the public spotlight as an athlete sponsored by Nike, was naked in an ESPN magazine. Like that was the moment where it was like, okay, now I am not only doing this for myself, I'm doing it for every athlete who comes after me. And no one told me that I had to do that, but that was definitely something that I did for myself, probably even before that moment. I wanted that moment because I thought about all of that time when I was a kid and when I was younger and before I transitioned, that I just didn't see anybody who looked like me in sport. And so to be that person now it, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I think that pressure has served me well. It's motivated me. It's, it's kept me going. And part of the reason I do sport is so that I can be that person so that I can be an advocate and, and have that platform. So I think it's really multi-layered and, you know, the race walking was like, ah, will people take me seriously because it's not a sport that's like, you know, it's, it's part of track and field, but it's certainly not the sexiest sport in the Olympics. Sure. I hear what you're saying. You know, it's pretty sexy though. I've never seen it. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, something else that, that this is, I'm like, this is fully just an outside perspective. Um, so I'm very curious to hear what is true here. You know, do I see that maybe like some things have shifted in that like, yeah, you have a sponsorship from Nike. Like that's amazing. But it does seem like trans folks being included in in sports. Like this is something that we as a culture generally 
even within the queer community are like, it is, this is not something that has been, like, we are not anywhere with this sort of, yes, yes, you're sponsored by Nike, but this doesn't, this isn't one of the things where I look at it and I'm like, I'm, I'm like able to see our strides. Like, I think this is something that we are at the very beginning of talking about things like why this is fair, you know, or like why this is not um, scary for the cis athletes mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. running next to you or walking next to you. Um, that's just my outside perspective is that like shit has not, shit has not gotten good. <laughs> so, so, no, shit what? has gotten bad, actually. Talk yeah, to me shit. about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, shit has actually gotten really bad in the last two years. But I should, you know, let me frame it up in saying, you know, it doesn't really affect me in the same way. Okay. And there are a lot of reasons for this. But part of it is that I transitioned into male privilege and I'm white. And there are those are very two incredibly important factors when we're talking about this. So, you know, I've been tracking policies with my website, transathlete.com, since 2013. And in that time, so in seven and a half years, we've seen great strides in sports in terms of creating policies for trans inclusion at both the high school level and national governing bodies and the Olympics. The Olympics has had a policy since uh, 2003 about, and, you know, in that time, over 54,000 people have become Olympians and zero of them have been transgender. Um, the policy was changed when I challenged it in 2016, so it's a little less restrictive now. There is a pathway to participation. We still haven't made it there. So that's like important to frame up this conversation of saying, you know, part of the reason that I was able to challenge the Olympic policy is that I was a name and a face to say, hey, I'm an athlete who actually made it with my team and now I can't compete because of your rules and it doesn't make sense. But I really strongly feel that if it was a trans woman who was who was, you know, saying, hey, this doesn't make sense, it would have been a very different situation because we've seen that happen over the last several years. There have been just right. attacks on trans people in sports and particularly young trans people in sports in the last two years, you know, and just before this, you know, in, in the last week, we've had probably seven different states introduce bills. We're up to 16 states in the United States have a bill to make a law in a state that would prevent trans athletes from participating in sports with their peers at the high school level. Wow. I, that's, I mean, the, the other thing, I just want to pause for a, t- for a second and say, I think an, another thing that's happening here is not just male privilege, but cultural assump- assumptions about people who are assigned female at birth versus people who are assigned male at birth and which bodies are stronger and better at sports. So the way in which mm-hmm. like misogyny, I mean, the way it's not, it's not unrelated that like the women's national team in soccer is fighting for like a fraction of the pay that we, that also when this, I think when this comes up in conversation or like, um, CNN or like, God forbid, Fox News, they're talking about trans women. Like that is, that is who is the headline because the unfairness that's also built into like when people, when, you know, this talking head that's spouting nonsense is often speaking about like sort of um, the way in which bodies are unequal to begin with. And so therefore, like, how could anyone who was assigned 
in this body at birth then participate without um, the scales being tipped. And so like, it's, 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 I, I hear what you're saying in that. Um, I'm just wondering if that's also included in what you're talking about. This like, absolutely. It's, it's sexism. It's sexism straight up. Right. So it's like it very, this is my experience was that I, you know, transitioned in sport and pretty much got a pass, a, a slap on the butt and a good job, buddy. You know, no one thought that I would be a threat. No one thought that that's I would be competitive wild. with men. It I mean, is, it's, I believe it's really it. Wild. It's also yeah. like, uh, it's the lived experience, like looking at your face and hearing you say this, it's wild. Wild. Yeah. And, and, and you look, to be fair, like I had my fair share of discrimination. Most of it did not come from, from leagues and it didn't come from my competitors. Most of it came from fans and from media. And, you know, like I, I definitely, Oh, I'm sure. Yes. You know, yes, I absolutely still it I sound mean, easy. Just hit my Twitter <laughs> right now and you can see no, it. Oh yeah. It doesn't sound but easy. But you're, you're absolutely right. So the fact that no one thought that I would be a threat that if I made Team USA, it was like, cool, good job. And then, you know, not a big deal. And I can do it six times and it's still not a big deal because no one thought that I would be competitive and I'm not a quote unquote threat. Right. But what we see is absolutely right. If a trans woman even just wants to participate with her peers, that it's instantly, you know, controversial. It's, it's a problem. And it's important to note. And the reason why I said, you know, I'm white and I have this privilege and not just in this moment of the last year of this racial awareness that's happened culturally, um, you know, and, and the white supremacy, you know, spotlight being turned on. But it's really important to note that for the people who are being targeted by Fox News, by the media, by the talking heads are largely black and brown trans women. Yes. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not a coincidence right. that black and brown bodies have been policed and women's bodies have been policed over the course of time, over the, you know, over, in history in sport. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that's such a good, it's such, it's so important to include that. And of course it's, yeah, it's, it's the mechanism of white supremacy you know, casting a villain. And, and mm -hmm. so it is absolutely deliberate and like, for sure, for sure. Yeah. That's why, that's why when people talk about bathroom laws, they talk about something that's never happened. There has never been like this mythical dude in a wig that then like <laughs> assaults people in bathrooms. That's never even, ha that's never, that's, there's never been an arrest that looked mm -hmm. like that. So this mm -hmm. is not what we're actually talking about, but it's, um, but, but you bring up a good point there because, well, first of all, let's just say it's 2021 and Indiana has a bathroom bill on the table right now that's so atrocious. It's, it sounds like a fifth grader wrote it and it wouldn't even allow custodial staff or like bathroom cleaners to go into the opposite, into the restroom that they don't like. And so go then in. how, so, you know, so, so this also is so impacts, um, participation in sport because most of us don't constantly wear our gym clothes or like right. some people are swimmers, you know, like they're, I, you know, locker rooms and access to access to even something like gyms for so mm -hmm. many folks, um, really fraught. And, yeah. um, we're talking about all that too. Like when you are on the Olympic team that impacts a person in Indiana, maybe someday being able to go to the gym. Yeah. I mean, it's all tied together. You're absolutely right. And it's, and it's bigger than sport. And that's the important thing here that I think people aren't recognizing as we see all these bills pop up that are targeting high school and college kids. To your point, there's no dude in a wig going into bathrooms and assaulting people, right? And if you have a trans girl on a girl's team, there are still zero boys on that team. 
And, you know, I think that's another thing that people are, are sort of the way the media has portrayed us and, you know, like bless disclosure documentary for helping people unpack their shit about trans representation in the media. But, you know, all of that is related. The way that Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar was, you know, on when I was a kid, Jerry Springer, Maury Povich made me question, you know, trans people when I was a kid. Like, like I didn't, I didn't understand it. And, and so I understand like now as a trans person, how confusing it was for me to see the media portrayal and how they villainize and demonize trans people and, and inaccurately represent us. So of course, if 80% of Americans have never met a trans person in real life, it's very easy to believe a tweet or a Fox News headline about who we are and what our intentions are in sport. But trans athletes just want to play with their peers like everybody else. And I think that is largely missed. And we're such a small percentage of the population too, that it's like astounding to me that lawmakers are, are in this moment in time, in this pandemic, in all of the things that are happening, focusing their efforts on keeping kids from having experiences with, with other kids. Yeah. I, I, I want to go back to when you were talking about, um, delaying your transition mm -hmm. and I can't remember the exact wording that you said, but but talk, talk me through again what that, what those, and you said it was a matter of years, yes? So about a year and a half, yeah. About a year and a half. And so what was happening for you? What was happening for you? What was happening for you inside? Yeah, I was, a, I mean, I was an adult. I was working a job that I had been in for probably three years at that point, you know, like trying to establish a career in higher education and not seeing people who looked like me. I lived in, I was living in New York City. I didn't know another trans person in real life myself. And so to get this understanding of my identity, to know like when I was a kid, I didn't know I was trans. I just always felt like I didn't align with my peers. I, I felt like I was just me. Like I, I was, and I was good with that. I was like, I'm just Chris. I'm just independent, unique, like, I don't know, unicorn of a person, I guess. And I knew I wasn't like my brother, but I also knew I wasn't like the other girls on my basketball team. So I just, I think I made myself so busy that I didn't have to think about it for a very long time. When I finally was faced with that freshman year of life, like post-college, having to figure out who I was as a person and how I wanted to show up in the world, you know, I learned through my partner telling me to read certain things and watch certain things. I learned from watching people's experiences on YouTube. And even then, I still just didn't see people who looked like me, who played sports, who uh, trans men who were not in college or not in high school. So I was just like trying to figure it out. But when I figured out what felt right, like the, the identity of being trans, and then figured out that I wanted to take testosterone because that would help me feel more at home in my body. I delayed that decision of like actually telling people, of going to the doctor, of, of getting the prescription for that year and a half because I didn't want to lose my ability to compete in sport. I didn't know if I could compete in sport because I didn't see policies. I didn't see other athletes. And sport, you know, since I was like four years old, sport was an essential part of who I am as a person. It's where I made my friends. It's where I found my community. It's where I felt the most like myself was when I was playing with other people, you know, and just like everything else went away when I was playing sports as a kid. And as an adult, I think as I came back into that, like that feeling was so refreshing because I felt so out of place in other spaces in the world. Yeah. Well, do you, did you have a moment where that, fear was lifted or 
do you still feel that way that that you are do you feel that you are able to compete and you know or is there still a part of you that wonders about your participation in the thing you're actively doing there's no question now yeah which is really cool that's a very cool thing to be able to say and i don't know when that specific moment was because certainly in the early part of transitioning there was the fear of will i be accepted um you know in order to change my gender marker in in triathlon in running for example i had to email people i had to out myself i'd be forwarded to eight more people then forwarded to 13 people who didn't know what to do with me then sent on you know and suddenly where something that i'm i'm feeling so incredibly vulnerable about and so incredibly insecure about and and nervous and frightened for my safety you know then 50 people are on an email chain with that information and that was not a, a great feeling sure um, <laughs> sure yeah you know the old school way of coming out i guess um and you know i think when that happened i certainly had questions of will i be accepted but i don't think i i, I actually don't think i ever had the question of will i be competitive or will i be able to hang with the guys because i think as a young athlete i really took pride in being competitive in being um you know, in being one of the best out there, regardless of of how I was assigned at birth, regardless of who is on the court or the field, I wanted to be the best. And I think that competitive fire as, as an athlete who transitioned then made me want to work harder and do more to be the best that I could because I felt like I had something to prove. And I think it, it didn't take long. I th 2013, I won my first race as a, as male. And I think that was, you know, that moment of Kind of having that question at the start of the race being like okay i'm i know i'm fast and i should be lining up at the starting line but something in me still feels like that freshman high school girl who is running you know like a eight minute mile or something like like it, there was still this disconnect of of me as a person now all my training all this experience versus the person that i you know I, I, versus my fears versus how i was showing up in the world you know, winning that race, I think, was really probably what set me to the next yeah. you know, level in my confidence. That's beautiful. Just to confirm, an eight-minute mile is like it. So if I run like a 12-minute mile, that's fast, right? Just to confirm, <laughs> Chris. Now that I got you <laughs> on the horn, just to run so some times past you. Define fast. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> mentally, are we talking about mentally fast? Or are we talking about a good playlist? What are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so, well, I'm curious about, I mean, maybe I should just know, I have no idea what you said, that, you know, prior to this, you were, you were participating in, you were competing as a triathlete, mm -hmm. but also having this like day job in higher ed sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. I literally do not know if one ever gets to be just a triathlete as a job, because I know that there are many, um, even Olympic level sports that people participate in where it's not an income generating sport. So is that, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, I mean, obviously I would imagine it's something like endorsements or, or sponsorships, but that's and coaching and those types of things. Is that the path for, for that's being, it for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even for my friends who are, you know, on the Olympic and Paralympic team, you know, uh, friends who are Paralympic triathletes, one in Rio are, are medalists who are training right now for Tokyo 2021. And, and, you know, it's really, really tough to pay the bills as just as, just as an athlete. And I think with, you know, without having a, 
NBA, NFL, MLB, uh, you know, certainly I was going to yeah. say National Women's Soccer League, but that's not even, you know, a lot of it, it comes from endorsements. It comes from coaching um, and it comes from, for me, it comes from speaking. So I travel right. and speak and share my story uh, with schools and, and companies, corporations trying to talk about inclusion. And, you know, like in the, in the stuff that I'm doing now, you know, since COVID hit has just been awful. So everybody in this moment of, of wokeness wants to have a person come in and speak, but nobody has money, right? Like, so what that's a, a dream problem. come true. Right? What a dream come true. <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I was like kind of laughing as you were speaking because, and I mean, this is true for me too, but it's like the job that you do or the job that you say that you, or the career, like that one says yeah. that yeah. when, when there, when it's something like, this is even true for stand, for a stand up comic. It's like a portion of what I do is stand up comedy, but it is like not what I, it's not most of what I do. Um, and I think that it is, it is just interesting because like, especially for Olympians, because there, you know, anybody who's on Team USA for like a period of a few months, like the, the whole country is like so proud of you and like, you know, jazzed that you exist. But it's a pretty um, tenuous position to be in because speaking is actually a whole other job. You actually, <laughs> it's a whole other that's a job. real job. Yeah, yeah that's a real, that's like the real. a whole other job that you then have to, develop a skill set at and clearly I can tell from you know from just chatting with you like you're very good at this but it's a whole different skill set and then in the midst of that you're like keeping your bod in some sort of shape that doesn't make sense to me so yeah that seems like a lot my friend (laughs) (laughs) that's funny because I didn't I I think I've had this moment this thought process of being like wow I really don't make a lot of money as an athlete like barely anything, but I'm, that's my passion. That's what I want to tell people. And, you know, there's something about that title too, that help, that is the pathway to these other opportunities to speak and do what is really my, my passion work, which is, you know, inclusion and making sure that kids have a better opportunity to play sports, to, to feel like they have a space in a place in this world. But yeah, I, you know, I think I just listed off like six other ways that I actually (laughs) make money. Um, but yeah, so, you know, and, and the thing too is that uh, Team USA, there are Team USA athletes like myself who don't go to the Olympics, do yes. world championships. So like yes. duathlon is I'm not realizing. an Olympic sport. Thank you. You know, so like, I, I don't want to make it out to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not an Olympian. We don't have any trans Olympians yet. And, you know, my goal in going to the Olympic trials is that now 
that no one has to break that door open. You can go to the trials now. Somebody's already done that. So just go and make the team now. <laughs> so if you go to the trials, that you're that is not the moniker that you get for going to the trials. It's not. No, because it didn't make it. Uh, I don't get to get the tattoo. Rats. I know. I don't, like, <laughs> I'll tell you though. I mean, I like. Yeah, sure. Part of me wants to be an Olympian and I know that, I mean, just how incredible that would be. And I certainly, you know, gave my best effort in my training and I, I feel proud about that. But also, you know, I think I didn't go to the Olympic trials thinking I was going to make the team. Like there are athletes who have spent their life training for race walking, you know, like, like, and that is their, that that's their jam. This was like a, this was like a side piece for me. And I was trying to come in and, you know, give it, give it a good shot. But, um, for me, it wasn't about going to the Olympics. It was really about going to the trials. It was about, you know, just having, just having that opportunity was incredible. And anytime that I have an opportunity to have, you know, my name on a team USA Jersey is incredibly special as an athlete. You know, I'll be in the world championships in duathlon later this year, but also it's really important to me. And I think it's funny because it's sort of like a little bit of a middle finger to say, you know, in the last four years, not, not right now, but you know, I couldn't serve in the military and per but I could represent my country overseas at the highest level of my sport. And, yeah, you know, there's wild. something like I couldn't safely go to the bathroom in some states of this country and I can go and represent my country at the highest level of my sport. And so, you know, to have that Team USA jersey is a real, you know, it's, it's a little contentious. It's, it's, it's so special. And also it highlights just the inequalities that exists for us and trans people, you know, and then again, saying how important the sport is because this is, all of these bills that are happening, all of these, you know, trying to keep us out of sport is a gateway opportunity to eliminate us from public view. And I know like that might sound extreme, but you have to say like, so if you can, if you can block us from playing sport, then you can block us from bathrooms. That's a reasonable next step, right? Well, if I can't pee, I can't really go out in public, right? <laughs> so you can block yeah. us from employment or from from housing shelters and from, you know, adoption and, and just like on and on healthcare. We're seeing bills pop up across the country, trying to ban trans kids from receiving gender affirming life saving care and making it child abuse. If a doctor or a parent allows that to happen. So like, you know, all of this is, is related. All of this is connected. And that's why I feel so passionately about using this platform to, you know, all, all those other things on my resume that actually give me money. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's why it's important. I mean, and also what you're saying about the Team USA jersey, and I think for anybody that's been in the military, and it is a it is a wild. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what will continue to unfold, but just the idea that these are fraught images or like fraught identifications, or you know, to for for many people. Indigenous folks or black folks, mm -hmm. you know, with military service or, or like anybody, I mean, literally this is like the root of why Colin Kaepernick is a civil rights hero. Um, because mm -hmm. when we appreciate a, a body for one thing and then not the human soul that is inside that body, I mean, that is something that we in the U.S. Are, we're pretty great at that. We're pretty good at, uh, <laughs> you know, appreciating bodies when it serves us and um, yeah. throwing away the humanity of that person. So it's so true. It seems that we're talking about that a little bit. It seems like maybe there's a beginning of some understanding there. Um, but it's one thing that we're built on. We're literally built on that. So, and it's so clear. I mean, 
I went to Idaho last year, right before HB 500 was passed into law. And for those that don't know, HB 500 was the bill that became the first law in the country to ban transgender, specifically trans girls from playing girls and women's sports in high school and college in the state of Idaho. It's currently um, paused. So there, it's a lawsuit. It's not active right now, but the law is still on the books and it became the playbook for all of these states that currently have a bill right now. And just to say how atrocious uh, atrocious it is, it's a law that says any young girl could be questioned about her gender. So if she's a good athlete, you can say, you're not a girl. And it would trigger an investigation of her genitals. So internal and external reproductive organs, her chromosomes and her hormone levels for any girl. And I remember like being such a, like a strong female athlete when I was a kid and, you know, people saying, is that a guy or a girl? You know, and, and because I had a good jump shot and, and thinking about being a 15 year old who would have to get a pelvic examination in order to play sports with my friends, not great. Right. So I remember going to Idaho before this past and I, I met with, with lawmakers. I sat in on sessions and, you know, to your point about the humanity, just, you know, that's really what's lacking here is that these lawmakers are misgendering people in their session, you know, um, it's all pseudoscience. There's there's not the data to back it up. And it's broad sweeping generalizations. But they basically stood there as as brave young people shared their stories with them, you know, young trans kids, parents of trans kids talking about their experiences, about how important sport is to them, how they just want to play with their friends, and then having them misgender them right in front of them and having them, you know, inappropriately talk to them. While they're in the room, these are their elected officials. And this is now happening in, you know, two, like a third, over a third of the country is in this similar situation. So we've lost the humanity. There's, you know, and part of that is not knowing people in real life, right? So that's why representation matters so much. And, you know, we talk about that all the time. Like it's, it's so important that people see and know trans people to know that it's, we're not what Fox News makes us out to be. We're not what the conservative right leaning media you know, makes trans people out to be. There's, there's humans behind each of these stories. And that really gets lost as, as they're trying to pass these laws. Absolutely. I mean, especially when one of the humans has such a good curly mustache, it's like, how (laughs) literally say it to my curly mustache face. How could you do it? You can't. It's impossible. You couldn't Um, do it. This is a this is a pandemic mustache. So this happened because I finally um, I wasn't doing any speaking engagements and I had nowhere to travel to. So I was like, let's just see what happens because I was really kind of <laughs> self conscious about how it would be in the mid phase. It actually ended up to exceed my expectations. But somebody online uh, recently was like trying to figure out. It was you know some Twitter troll about. Um, whether I was transitioning to male or if I was assigned male at birth, transitioning to female, mm. which always cracks me up. And uh, they said, well, he has a look at my mustache mustache, so I'm not sure. And I was like, that's so brilliant. I have a look at my mustache mustache now. <laughs> I like, I'm so mad that I wear face coverings out of the house all the time because everyone yeah. is missing out on this glory. Well, I get to see it, which is like a true <laughs> treat for me. But had you not ever grown, ever grown this out? Never, yeah, ever. I had, had a little bit of scruff and um, was pretty clean shaven. Other I would imagine that's a huge moment then to see. I mean, oh, that, yeah. and I hear what you're saying about that being uh, like the privacy of the moment to 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 get to go through that without sort of the, you know, the Getty photos the <laughs> eyes know <laughs> of the world upon ye. Um, that yeah, makes a lot yeah. Of sense. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm here for you it. Know, I love it. Yeah. And I, the other thing that I'll just say is that, um, you know, specifically when you're talking about kids and that story that you're just telling about what that, what the actual um, legislation says, it's, I, I have been, I've been sort of having an interesting experience of like realizing how, I don't know, you know, it's like, I've been a gender nonconforming person my entire life. I've not lived a different way. So I have never experienced a world where people don't constantly ask if I'm a boy or a girl. That was what was true in my youth. And mm-hmm. it still happens. Um, and I, I just have been more aware lately because I was, I was trying to figure out, like I keep being on these like Zooms or like a business meeting where like every other person in the group is like clearly a gender conforming person. And then one of those people will ask everybody to say their pronouns. And I'm like, I know why this has happened. Like, I understand that, like, there's a real sense of like, like it's like 17 people that just mm-hmm. would not talk about this, except that like my haircut is visible. And so then they're like, why doesn't everybody go around? And like, it just is, it feels so, so um, clear to me. And I was Wondering mm-hmm. like, huh, why does this make me feel a little funny? And like, because I don't, because it's not um, that I don't think people should say their pronouns. But I think for me, what I was realizing is that it's it's literally just the fact that I'm aware that I'm being noticed. And mm-hmm. that for me, like, that's actually a little bit traumatic. Like to, to be aware that I'm being noticed doesn't feel neutral because it, because what will happen next? First of all, I've been noticed my whole life. And so it feels like, and when you're a little kid, like I just was understanding myself. And so for people to say like, are you this or this? I'm like, wait, what are we even talking about? Like, this is how we are. People are like this. You know, you're only living in your own experience. Like people play with Ken's. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? You know, like I, and so just the, the questioning of self and how early mm-hmm. that starts. Um, and the violence of you know, the yelling, the things people are yelling from their cars, not Mm -hmm. being dissimilar from the kind question that they're in the same category. And so then it's all of that trauma, even, even if it's a kind question, it still has this other. So I say all of this to say, all of that is true for me. And I got to play sports where I wanted to when I was a child. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I cannot even imagine the compounding effects of all of those things if then that hadn't been true. Um, All of what you just said resonates so much for me. Like I just had, I just relived so many moments of my, of my experience. Like I can, I, it's like a movie that it flashes. It's like, you know, on the baseball field and in the neighborhood and waiting for the bus and in the lunchroom and in high school and after the basketball game and in college, walking up the stairs at the commons and like thing after thing after thing, walking to work with a coworker in New York City, having a bus full of middle school kids throw water bottles out and yell, are you a guy or a girl? You know, walking with my coworkers while I'm an adult on and on and on, you know, like all of that happens. And I, and I feel you so much. It's like, it's actually a big debate, I think, with folks who are, you know, we've moved to this Zoom culture. I have my pronouns in my bio on Zoom just to like eliminate some of that feeling. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, I advocate for that in some cases, but I also remember those moments where, 
uh, when I was androgynous presenting person assigned female at birth who didn't really identify as a woman, but didn't know how else I could identify and show up in the world. These moments of being like, okay, so she doesn't really fit. I can't tell people to call me he, cause that will be so wildly outside of their understanding of me. And they, them was not a commonly used pronoun at that time. So like, you know, I'm in the, in this moment where I remember a training for, I worked at a college and I was in charge of resident advisors and we had RA training and we had this person come in who said, all right, and we're going to say, if you are a he or a she, and it was just like, obviously that's a horrible way to do a, a training. We, we've come a long way, but I remember feeling so put on the spot in that moment. And, you know, similarly, like, okay, I think that we're just doing this because he doesn't know how to address me. And I'm a person who's in charge here. And that's going to be really problematic if we have this moment in front of all these students. And, you know, that's not a comfortable moment. So there are these moments where it doesn't feel safe. And, and even if it's a friendly ask, even if they would ask that in every meeting, which it sounds like that's not the case for the group that you were in, <laughs> but it, it can feel really targeted and really, um, you know, like, it, it makes me happy to see cis allies have their pronouns in their bio because it opens up space for me as as a trans person to have mine as well. You know, it's, and, it, and I don't like if I see it consistently, I'm like, that's not just because of me, you know, and I think none of us, if we're non-binary, gender non-conforming, trans, like don't want to be the token person in in your Zoom meeting. We don't want to be yeah. the token person in your board meeting. And I, I want this to be the practice that you do all the time, whether I'm there or not. If that's, if that's what you're going to adopt, right? And then also understand that for some people, it might not be comfortable to share that information because it feels like, okay, clearly I'm the reason you're doing this. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm actually so, I'm really grateful for your, thank you for your candor on that and for your relating, you know, because I think for me, um, this is an interesting time. I like don't, there isn't really a set of pronouns that feels the, as if they're the ones that I would like to assert. And mm -hmm. so what I'm realizing, even as we're talking is that I could, I could put all of them. I mean, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's, but it is complicated because there isn't, for me, there isn't one. And it's, then it's hard to um, imagine how to be helpful to those folks who might need the thing that you're talking about, um, which is like asking for pronouns to be normalized and, and, mm -hmm. um, the space there. Um, and then just to feel like I'm like floating in a void. So I'm curious to see how this will continue to evolve. Like it's always nice to get a chance to know something about yourself that you didn't even fucking know. And, yeah. um, and I think it's, yeah, zoom times bringing up new explorations of self. Yeah. I love that, that moment of self, you know, self understanding here. And I think the biggest thing for me is not like, I want everybody to have their pronouns in their bio or like to, to have us do that. I want, I want people in my community to not have to make themselves smaller to make other people feel more comfortable. Right. So like, I want every trans non-binary, you know, person to, to feel like they can own the, all of the power of who they are, be addressed however they want to be addressed and, you know, and, and like own that and not have it be an issue. And so if you, if all, all pronouns feel good, then I want people to, to switch up my pronouns and, and be cool with that. And, you know, there's something about so much of my experience, I think has been explaining and trying to make other people feel comfortable with, with me and with my presence and with my participation in sports and, um, you know, 
and satisfying their curiosity, you know, in part I've made that part of my job, right? So like there's, there's that, but yeah, so, so many of us are put in that position. And I feel like I just want people to be able to own all of the greatness, to be extra queer, to be extra whatever they are and, and own all of that power and not have to satisfy other people's curiosities or, you know, tone themselves down to make other people comfortable in the Zoom room. Yeah, it's, ex I mean, I, I would, I can imagine that satisfying other people's curiosity, um, I would imagine that's a big part of your life. <laughs> um, Google that shit. Yeah, and <laughs> I just will say like, um, I'm sorry that you have to field so much of that and, and bear, bear that burden. That seems really exhausting. But also, thanks, you know, on behalf, I'm like just, I'm no, but from just a part of our community, like I, I can't even imagine, look, if people making laws about genitals in this specific area where you are a public face, I can imagine how wild some questions and some some, some emails tweets, and yeah, 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 might yeah. get. <laughs> yes, and it, it's it's a lot, but also you know this might sound silly for some people, but I honestly believe I was I was built for this, like I was made for this role. And you would ask me ten years ago when I was first understanding my identity if I thought that I would come out, if I would be public, all of this before I before I actually did it. I, I mean, I would have said no until the day that I wrote the article for the Advocate and came out publicly as a trans man in sport, like. You know, I think that I had a lot of questions, a lot of reservations about being public figure because part of me just wanted to go and live the life that I finally understood I was meant to live, like be the person that I, you know, not have to explain myself, not, not have to constantly question if I was safe, just wanted to live that life. And what I realized is that I really think that I'm here to be of service to my community, to do the most good. And I, and I can do that by being that ally for the other people you know, who identify like me, like, like I'm trying to think how to, how this with, I'm not trying to mansplain anybody, which is, it's always validating when people say I'm mansplaining. <laughs> so, so thank you so much turfs for, for that validation. But, um, you know, I think it's important <laughs> that I am able to show up and advocate on behalf of trans women and black trans women. And, you know, like who, who are subjected to so much more harassment, discrimination in life and in sport, because, I would, I mean, I don't like being that person that gets bullied and discriminated against and is the subject of, of articles, but, you know, my experience has just been a fraction of what any of these, these young, like, you know, two high school runners in Connecticut, you know, a high school or a college athlete in, in New Hampshire, you know, being the public face of a global anti-trans attack and, if I can stand up and share my experience and, you know, I'm, I'm a case study of one, so I am not a trans woman, but I can speak about how our experiences have been different and what I've seen and advocate for their inclusion. You know, I'm here to alleviate some of that pressure from other people in the community because it's not, it's not the best thing. It's not fun, you know? Um, but I think that I, I am equipped now and I wasn't always equipped, but I am equipped now to do that job. And I take it very seriously to to make that experience easier for others. Well, Chris, you're a delight. It's been really nice to speak with you. And like, we're almost at an hour and like you nailed that. You know, the dismount on that answer was beautiful, timely, 
Thank you. For 55 minutes. And so I, I get to ask you to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you can be who you are today. Oh my gosh. Um, this, my wife is my queero, which is so rad. Um, That's we, lovely. yeah. So we have been together now. This year will be 20 years that we've been together, married for eight. Um, and so she was with me, you know, before transition. And I think that she saw something in me that she knew that I was limiting who I was. And a lot of trans people don't have that opportunity to, to grow through their transition with a partner. Um, not only did I have that opportunity, but she was the, you know, she gave me you know, not the push that I, that I needed to understand myself more, but the support and the resources and not like ever in a way of like, I know something about you that you don't know. She, I think she knew it. <laughs> I think, I think she, I think she knew that I had more in me and, you know, I, I can't be more grateful for that support like now and then and now, like every single day to, to have somebody by my side like that has just been incredible. So, um, she was the first woman that I ever dated. So we were, you know, like, perceived as a lesbian couple for a while, which then actually helped me understand my identity, not as a, as a woman, like as a trans person, because of the way that people saw us in relationship and just her understanding of the queer community of her sense of self, um, has just been such a gift to me. Absolute well, queero. Yeah. Well, shout out to, shout out to your awesome wife. That's amazing. Congrats yes. on 20 years. Thank you. And Thank you for your time today and, and go get them. The, Thank you so much. The, I'm so excited. The other people that you're racing against. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited to be your best friend now. This has been fantastic. This has been <laughs> yeah. a wonderful conversation. Yeah, I had a really uh, nice time with you. Yeah, it was this just, is good. so good.